Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the Omarpreneur Live podcast. And in this very special episode, I have with me Sister Dua Al Basuki. Now, just to introduce, introduce you guys a little bit to my guest today. Uh, Sister Dua is a registered dietitian, she's a nutritionist, and she's the founder of a brand called A Muslim Dietitian. She's also a graduate of Kalam Institute's seminary program and a current Alimiya student. What she does and what she aims to do is really serve her audience by providing, providing them with the tools to navigate through the sea of nutrition information. And she strongly believes that it's important to ensure that the food we eat is pure, halal, and tayyib. So we're going to talk about that today, inshallah. We're going to talk about her experience as a nutritionist and what it really means to eat pure, halal food, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, Dua. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. It's an honor to have you. And every single episode, we really start the same way. And we want to know a little bit more about you and your story. So can you share with us a little bit more about the journey that you went through that inspired you to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, I went into dietetics uh, to become a registered dietitian. But as I was even a student still in undergrad, I knew that I didn't want to do the traditional route of clinical dietetics, which is the majority of dietitians end up in a clinical setting. So in a hospital um, or a nursing home or you know some kind of clinical setting outpatient as well. And I knew that wasn't for me. And then when I was in my internship, it was further confirmed that I didn't want to be there. But I also didn't know where I wanted to be. So I started out my, um, I got a job first off as a clinical dietitian in um, a nursing home. And I was with them actually for a lot longer than I expected. Um, but the reason is, is it was very convenient. So the company that I worked for was an, a national company, which meant that I could move my job if I wanted to move. So it was really nice. I worked with them while I did my master's and then um, I went to Qalam and I moved there and I was able to work with them um in dallas and then i uh, moved again in st louis i got married at the end of Qalam, alhamdulillah and um, i was able to move my job to st louis and then um as we were kind of starting to settle down my husband was still in training we moved to champaign illinois for kind of our first like real um you know my husband started practicing and so when we moved here i had to make a choice i knew that full-time eight to five corporate ladder kind of stuff is not for me um, I was never interested in that kind of climb, but then I also only wanted to work part-time and there weren't really many opportunities in Champaign. For those not familiar, Champaign, um, it's a Champaign-Urbana area. It's two hours south of Chicago. So it's a small college town. It's not tiny, but it is a smaller town. And so the opportunities are going to be a little bit less. Um, so as I moved here, I decided, okay, I knew I always wanted to do something that wasn't specifically... Um, you know, clinical in, in the hospital setting or something like that. And so I decided to start up my own business. But I actually, this was in 2017, but I actually started up as Dua the Dietitian or Dua the Dietitian. Um, and I did that till the end of 2019. And I was seeing clients one-on-one. -on -one. I was doing like counseling one-on-one -on -one with clients, um, but it also wasn't what I wanted to do. And I realized that what I really enjoy doing is speaking to people. Um, so in, in 2019, at the end of 2019, when I kind of started having a shift, and the main reason for that was actually we went to, um, we went overseas to Morocco, we adopted a little one. Um, and then when we came back, the plan was to take some time off to focus, you know, and adjust him. 
And then the plan was to start up in the summer of 2020. Well, what was happening in the summer of 2020? COVID, obviously. And so we couldn't really have people um, come over, like to hire a babysitter, for example, so I could get work done. And also, um, we didn't want to send our little one to daycare. We didn't have a, a huge need to, to rush things. But at the, at the same time, I started thinking of a format that I would genuinely um, enjoy, feel passionate about, want to move forward. And I also started feeling like I wanted to be um, myself in my brand. And what I mean by that is, so as do with a dietitian, it's obviously my name is on the on the um, the brand, but I was still focusing strictly on me just being a dietitian. So the kinds of clients I took were all 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 faiths, all kinds of people that I worked with, and the language that I was using in my social media in my mailing list um, was very general. But I found myself wanting to use you know wanting to say Alhamdulillah, say Bismillah, um, say Inshallah. And so, and then also at that time, I was continuing my education with Qalam. And I, I, I was starting to study a lot more about nutrition from a, you know, from the Quran, from the Sunnah, the prophetic example, And so that's when I started to produce content that was more authentic to who I was. Um, so I started producing content, talking more about Islam, talking more about the, the intersection of faith, of our faith and nutrition. And I found, alhamdulillah, one, I found myself in that. And so I was able to really feel comfortable. Um, and the reason, you know, not everybody has to find themselves perfectly in what they're doing. But for me, what I recently discovered as I was working with a business coach in that when it came to setting my values, one of them, as I, you know, I was finally able to put a name to it, is authenticity. So for me, being, you know, authentically who I am, being transparent in that was very important. And so that's why um, I basically started um, finding myself in a Muslim dietitian and started creating content for Muslims specifically. But at the same time, I didn't want to work with just Muslims. I wanted to also work with dietitians to help Muslims improve their care. So um, the field of dietetics is a very, very not diverse field. Um, I don't know the statistics offhand, but it is very, very majority white. And so when you have a lack of, um, when you have a lack of um, diversity, the care for a diverse audience is not going to be as good. So over the last year, there was, a huge interest in content that was more diverse, more culturally appropriate, um, you know, in hand due to like the, the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. And so I kind of found my in. I was able to start doing webinars for Muslim audiences because you can't go in person and everything is closed. So people were switching to an online format, which worked really well for me, alhamdulillah, with having a two-year-old. And then I was also starting to create content for dietitians specifically to help them navigate working with Muslims, but not only Muslims, other minorities and specifically religious clients. And so alhamdulillah, that's where I found, I think this niche that I'm in right now and how I've been able to, how I got to here specifically. Right. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. And honestly, your story, it resonates and it sounds like it's a story that is born out of necessity more than anything else, to be honest with you, as in you were put in a situation where, you know, you 
realized that you couldn't really go for the traditional role of a nine to five and, you know, be outside of your home and spend all that time, um, you know, in a traditional workplace. And so I had to figure out how could I do something, you know, where I could work from home and I could, you know, make still build a career for myself, but have that freedom to be able to be with my family, be with my young ones and, and you know, spend the time that I need the way that I want to. Uh, and then, of course, I really like that you touched upon the diversity angle as well and how there aren't many Muslim dietitians and even hijabi dietitians in this space. Now, I want to ask you, because you did mention that, you know, your intention wasn't necessarily to work only with Muslims. But of course, now with what you're doing, I mean, looking at everything, even the name a Muslim dietitian, it's really catered towards Muslims. So did you then just end up pivoting and decide, OK, well, it's going to be hard for me not to incorporate these elements. So I just, I'll just niche down or what was that like for you? Yeah, so um, I I guess. I, when I started creating this content and finding my voice in this content, I realized that working with a Muslim audience was a place that I felt passionate about. There was, like you mentioned, there was a need for it, right. but then there was also a place where I felt very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be able to, you know, especially considering I had studied at Qalab, alhamdulillah, I'm still continuing my education now. Um, it's, it's to be able to apply that knowledge with my professional, you know, career was a, was was very rewarding in the sense that, inshallah, you know, hopefully very rewarding in the sense that also what I'm doing can be something that counts, you know, towards my akhirah as well. So being able to combine the two um, is something that's very helpful. But um, I mean, I do work primarily with Muslims in terms of clients. I don't work one-on-one with anybody anymore because I found no joy in that. So I just okay. do um, public speaking. I'm working on creating a course. I have a membership, um, but I do work with non-Muslim dietitians. So I work with Muslims um, as lay individuals, non-dietitians, but I work with non-Muslim dietitians to bring them kind of, to bring their, their um, basically the goal, if I put it into simple words, is to elevate the dietetics profession. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to elevate the profession so that it is more inclusive. The care provided is, um, you know, better. Obviously, as Muslims, we know this, that you know, um, we're not all the same. Muslims are not a mono, you know, we're monotheistic, we're not a monolith. And, um, but that's not always shown in the care that people are provided. Like I'll give a very small example. My mom saw a dietitian once and the dietitian was very, um, was trying to be very culturally appropriate, you know, very culturally aware. But she gave her a meal plan that included foods that were quote unquote, like common to, Muslims, and I put that in quotations because obviously when we say that we're thinking Arab food, but that doesn't mean that it's Muslim food, right? But just I'm just talking about like the general non-Muslim um, dietitian would assume. And, you know, the meal plan had, so we're Palestinian, the meal plan had a bunch of, uh, it was like Egyptian recipes, which, you know, no problem with Egyptian food, but it wasn't stuff that my mom was used to. And so these are small things that it's important for dietitians to better cater to their clients. And when you're coming with just a, you know, a, str- a background that you're not aware of, it gets hard to do that. And so we're just, you know, I'm just trying to make that easier for, for dietitians to navigate and then in turn, inshallah, make it also easier for um, individuals to have good care. Right. Okay. Well, I appreciate, I really appreciate you sharing that. It's interesting that you share that. And and before I dive deeper into, you know, meal plans and all those details, because there do have some questions there. I want to know for you, because you started off, you know, and you decided I wanted to be an online uh, dietitian. I wanted to do this from, from home essentially, mm-hmm. right? And work with clients. And a lot of 
people that we work with, a lot of listeners of this podcast are Muslim entrepreneurs who are either already have online businesses or they're aspiring to create online businesses. Mm-hmm. And I think if we could shed some light on what that process looked like, that would be really beneficial to our listeners as well. So can you share with us when, when you made that decision to, and you, and you said to yourself, okay, I'm going to go ahead and try to do this work online, work mm-hmm. with my clients online, you know, provide all these nutrition plans and even work with other businesses online. What was that process like for you to go and get your first few clients to put your name out there right? What did that look like? And how did you go about doing that? So I was actually very blessed. um, Because starting up one of my husband's cousins is an entrepreneur himself, and actually works with other entrepreneurs to help them with their businesses. So um, we don't see him often. But coincidentally, the summer before I started, it was actually I think the first time I met him in person. And I was just telling him what I'm doing. He's like, okay, well, here's what you need to do. You know, he's like, you need to have a, you need to work on your mailing list. You need to have a website. And then, but he was really, he really helped me in terms of, he's like, you need to have like a vision and mission statement. Um, And so he helped me get those like starting points in terms of turning like the idea in my head into something real. And so his company actually built my first website. It's not the website I have right now. They built my first website, um, which, you know, if someone's built a website, you know, that's a huge cost. So he actually did it, you know, as a gift to us, which was wonderful. Um, Alhamdulillah. So that was something that made it a lot easier. Um, I had a really nice, nicely built website. Um, and because that just, you know, a, a website is a place for people to go. You don't have to have a website, but being able to send people to a specific website and they get on there and they realize that this is, you know, something that somebody professionally built, it just gives out a different image. It's like when you go into an office and you see that the office is well lit and the furniture is nice and, you know, it's all clean. It just gives off a different image. It's not that the website is necessary. Um, and so so starting out, um, I'm, I'm trying to remember if if I even thought of going in person, Hmm. I don't even think I did. I think, um, I think because as a, I guess to me going in person, like creating, um, so basically as a dietitian, this is considered like a private practice, creating an in-person private practice felt like it was very close to clinical, um, to me. And so, I didn't want that. I knew I didn't want that. Um, And so I thought that going online and doing the same thing, the counseling would be where I wanted to be. Obviously with time, I realized that it's not where I wanted to be. Um, And so that's when I started to shift into more like public speaking and courses um, and like group group session things, community activities. Um, But yeah, I don't don't think I ever considered even being in person. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so from the get go, you you kind of had this idea that you wanted to be uh, working online. You wanted to have your clients online, and 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 essentially build your own business as an entrepreneur, uh, where you could work from home versus going in a clinical setting or, or opening up a practice. Essentially, is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I, I wanted to at that point also be something that um, wasn't super high cost to start. So mm-hmm. starting up, you know, depending obviously on your business, but as a service business. Typically, the, the startup cost is in your education, you know, um, your years of experience. But once you actually decide I'm starting up the business itself specifically, there's not very many startup costs. Obviously, website, you know, a platform that you might use to maintain or manage things. Um, maybe you need to hire somebody here or there. But compared to opening up like an in-person practice, it's very little um, in terms of the cost. So I think that was a factor, too. Right. 
Definitely. And then you've built this entire concept of e-tourship. So I want to dive into that a little bit. What does that even mean to you? What does e-tourship mean? What, what does that signify? Yeah. So um, one of the first webinars I did when I kind of shifted, one of the first paid webinars I did. So when it comes to the webinars I do, I, I typically I advertise and market most of them directly to Muslims, um, like individuals. But I started out with a big one that I actually marketed to Muslim organizations, primarily masjids, basically seeing if they would purchase it, basically seeing if they would purchase it, and then um, it would be free for their attendees. And how did that? It was well received. Um, I, I think, I can't remember exactly, this was last year, almost a year ago. I can't remember exactly how many masjids um, I, I was able to give this talk to, but it was, it, I met my expectations, alhamdulillah, at that point. Um, when I was preparing that webinar, it was called A Mindful Muslim Eater. And so we were looking at the example from the Prophet, specifically the hadith that I'm sure a lot of us have heard, which is um, the hadith is basically, um, you know, uh, I don't know why I'm blanking out for a second. Basically, the hadith where the Prophet says that the mankind, oh, here it is, mankind feels no vessel worse than their stomach. It is sufficient for the son or daughter of Adam to eat a few mouthfuls just to keep your spine straight. But if you must eat more than one third food, one third drink and one third air. So I kind of took this hadith and I knew that it was a hadith that a lot of people were very familiar with. But I also knew it was a hadith that a lot of us didn't know what it really meant to apply. What does it mean to actually eat, you know, one third, one third, one third? And so we started out talking about the prophetic guidance and then we shifted into how can we practically apply that as Muslims today? And so one line that I used in there was that we typically in our society and culture today, we eat, uh, we live to eat, right? It's just this is the, it's just how our culture is. Um, to eat everything we do is absolutely 100% not 100% but very 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 um, surrounded by food or food is very central to it yeah. and so initially you know as I was preparing this I was like okay we need to shift that from living to eat to eating to live but as I I, I read more um, especially I was reading in um, by Imam al-Ghazali which is a book that dives into the uh, fifth rulings of things, but also the spiritual aspect of a lot of our things. Mm -hmm. And what I, I was able to understand from that is that our goal in eating is to eat enough to be able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the best of our ability, but not eat too much so that we're unable to do it and not eat too little so that we're unable to do it, right? So eat to worship. Um, so that's kind of where that, that tagline um, arose from. And then as I was creating content, I created this community, the Eat to Worship community. Um, and initially the community was open to both men and women. Um, but after the first round of signups, I only had women sign up and I was like, this is amazing. I don't need to have any guys in here. So it, it actually turned into a community of women that are working together to, um, to grow both physically and spiritually, um, to grow closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that manner. And so that's where Eat to Worship was kind of born. Okay, that's really, really beautiful, subhanAllah. And you know, it's interesting because uh, even though I read it, I'm like, I know there's definitely a deeper meaning to this. And and what I, my initial angle, my initial thought when I saw that uh, saw that name, I was like, okay, eat to worship, probably, you know, what she means by that is eating according to the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, the foods that he recommended mentioned in the Quran. But I didn't think to myself, eating 
with that goal in mind of eating enough to sustain yourself to be able to worship to the best of your ability, which is really beautiful, subhanAllah. And I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that and that we got to touch upon it. And it's also really interesting that you share that hadith, right? Because even when you uh, when you look at you know entrepreneurship and 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 you know entrepreneurs and business owners and and how they have to eat to perform as an entrepreneur your performance in your business is is very much you know reliant upon your performance as a human being right so if you're showing up to your business and you're aware you're awake you're energized you're able to bring that energy into your business and into your work every day. But if you're showing up and you know you're feeling a little bit sluggish, maybe you're over eight, you know you have that um, the, the not the dizzy head, but it's like that cloudy, foggy brain, right? Uh, and because you overate and your system is digesting, now you're slow, you can't focus, you're not really getting much work done. So it even affects you as an entrepreneur. And this is something that you should be implementing in your life if you are a business owner, or even just anyone, because it allows you to bring more energy to you know, have that clarity of mind throughout your day. And, and we don't realize, I mean, I want you to share upon that. We don't realize how much energy it takes to digest food. Can you touch upon that a little bit? How much energy does it take? Is, is digestion uh, a taxing activity for our system? That's a, that's a question that I don't think anybody has ever asked me before. Mm. Um, so when we are digesting our food, there is a lot, uh, there is energy that goes into it. Right. And so um, there's energy and there's nutrients that go into it. So to digest our food. So a lot of like the, the vitamins and the minerals that we eat, and I don't know the exact processes right now. It's, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a long time out of school and I haven't had to come back to it. But um, the, the energy, I'm sorry, the processes, the, the chemical reactions that go out, that go on in our body to digest our food, do create a shift in our body. So after you eat, even if you don't necessarily overeat per se, you still feel a little bit less energetic for a little bit because there's actually a shift in our blood flow. So during digestion, there's a lot more blood that's pushed to the digestive system to get um, our nutrients back to the rest of our body. And then when you are digesting, um, a lot of those micro uh, nutrients, so like our vitamins and our minerals are, are being used up to do the digestive process and you're also creating energy as you use it. So yeah, it's definitely something, you know, digestion is definitely something that takes energy, but the ultimate goal of it is to release energy. So from our food, you know, the food that we take in should also be a source of that energy for us. Right, definitely. I wanna ask you the difference between uh, halal and tayyib because I read that on your website, right? And, and, and you essentially mentioned that you help people uh, really eat food that is pure, that is halal, and that is tayyib. Is there a difference between these two things, between halal food? Is halal food necessarily a tayyib food? Is tayyib food necessarily halal? Can, are they the same thing? Yeah. So so the word tayyib means um, like pure or good, mm -hmm. right? And then the word halal means permissible. Um, and in the Quran, it says halal and tayyiban, right? So they're put together. And what you see is that a lot of the scholars, there's a lot of conversation, you know, a lot of behind the scene conversation. If you look into the tafsir or the explanation of this, does it mean that what is halal is automatically tayyib? Is what's tayyib automatically halal? Um, the typical like rule when it comes to words that could have overlap in meaning is that if it's used together, then it is, there is a difference in them. 
But when we look at the application of this, we see different scholars taking it differently. And so this is from my understanding, and I apologize if I'm understanding incorrectly, but from my understanding, um, you know, some scholars will look at halal and tayyiban and say, okay, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made halal for us, that is automatically tayyib. And then, um, but then other scholars might look at, okay, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has specifically allowed, then that becomes halal and that becomes tayyib. And the difference shows up in application. So for example, some, you know, some of the scholars that say that, okay, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so basically they look at it and say, okay, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made halal, then it's halal. Obviously, that makes sense. But they look at it in the flip side in the terms of, okay, so whatever is not explicitly haram is halal and tayyib. While some scholars will extrapolate further. And that's why you see a huge difference amongst the scholars in terms, well, it's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons we see a huge difference in terms of the scholars in terms of the foods that are halal. So you'll have, um, you'll have, you know, if you look at um, the Maliki Madhab, for example, the foods that are allowed in the Maliki Madhab are far greater than the foods that are allowed, um, and we're talking specifically animal products, that's where it comes up a lot, right? Um, than those that are allowed in the Hanafi Madhab. So the Hanafi, so 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 there, there, there are different interpretations of this. So it's hard to say, okay, this is exactly what it means. But in my understanding of it, especially in you know what we're looking at today, tayyib um, is food that is good food. Halal is food that is halal food, and there there is overlap in them, but they are not necessarily a um, hundred. There it's not like hundred percent convergence. Um, and what I mean by that is, for example, if we think about cattle products, we think about cows. You know, uh, food that is halal according to all of the scholars. Um, you could eat a cow that is um, you know, that was brought up in a manner that is not good for it, um, you know, it was abused or not fed well or, or not taken care of, and then slaughtered uh, slaughtered in a manner that meets halal requirements. So that meat is still halal. But then you come in and you say, well, is this tayyib? Is this the purest food that I could put into my body? And that's where we're kind of navigating. Um, and then even here in America, you know, you have other aspects. So certain foods that might still be halal um, but is it is it tayyib? And, and I'm still navigating through that, so I can't give like a conclusive answer. But it, th those are the questions that kind of come up when we think about those two words. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you sharing that. And uh, and you make a really great point because a lot of times, you know, just because food is halal doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's tayyib, which means that it's good for you. And it could be the best possible, uh, you know, quality or, or, or product that you can get, as you just mentioned so eloquently with the example of the, the cow meat, right? And how it was treated and how it was fed. Um, so I really want to touch upon that a little bit. And I want to ask you, you know, for, for people listening to this, since you are someone who specializes within the topic of nutrition and, and dieting, et cetera, what are some simple tips we can implement uh, to be more mindful about what we eat? So, you know, just to maybe be more mindful about the things we put in our bodies and, and inshallah, maybe live a healthier life. Yeah. So, um, this is a lot of what I talk about. Um, so you're hitting, you know, the nail of the head there. The nail on the head um <laughs> but uh basically um you know when i'm asked like what is my number one tip or what are my number one tips i believe that how we eat is just as if not more important than what we eat mm -hmm. um and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second and i think and from my 
reading of the Sunnah, I also find that we see that example with the Prophet والسلام, So it, within the Sunnah, we see a lot of how to eat, a lot more than what to eat. Um, not to say that both are not mentioned, they are, but you know, as you're reading through the Sunnah, the Prophet والسلام, you know, eat with your right hand, say Bismillah, you know, the Prophet والسلام, would sit in a certain way and say, I sit, uh, I am a servant, I sit as a servant, I eat as a servant. Um, and you see a lot of those examples, your fingers, one third, one third, one third. Um, and so that, uh, you know, to me, already as a dietitian, I was already on that idea of like how we eat is very, very important. But then when I'm able to cross-reference that with the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ and see that, okay, it seems like that is also the example that we get from the Prophet ﷺ, that's where I focus a lot of my conversation. There's a concept in eating called mindful eating. And basically, it's the idea that you are fully present um, or you're as present as possible in the now, in what you're doing right now, um, mentally, basically, you're there. So you're not only physically present, you're mentally present. And the way to understand this best, and I'll go into it just really quickly, is that the mind has two, um, two, two functions, just to oversimplify, awareness and thinking. And awareness is basically what is happening right now what's happening in the moment and thinking is past and present uh, past and future sorry so and the two have an inverse relationship so as thinking goes up awareness goes down and vice versa and so for example you know i'm sure everybody has experienced this where you are thinking about an exam you have coming up or you know if we're talking to entrepreneurs uh, a business order that you need to make or a client that you have to see or, or a sale that you have to close it's coming up you're thinking about it but you're also sitting amongst your family or your friends and you're just really thinking about these things. And then all of a sudden, everybody around you just starts cracking up. They're laughing and you have no idea why. Even though you were physically present, you were not mentally aware of what's happening. So that's how that two relation, how that relationship kind of works. And in eating, we, can, we do a lot of the same thing. So for example, if you um, are working and you're eating a sandwich, you might go to pick up another bite and you're like, where did my sandwich go? You're not even aware that you finished eating it. Um, and so that's where those two kind of um, intersect. And that's a place that I really encourage individuals to focus on, that mindfulness, that presence um, when you are eating. And we see that example in the Prophet ﷺ, for example, that he almost always sat down while he was eating. The process of sitting down brings you more awareness rather than what we do a lot of times, which is standing and eating on the go, grabbing our food and running out the door. Small things here and there we find, um, for example, the idea of taking your water, drinking your water in sips rather than in gulps. That comes from the Prophet ﷺ. Same kind of idea. It, it helps us slow down, reconnect. So if anything, my number one tip would be to focus on your presence while you're eating. Um, and obviously, I can't go into as much detail as I would like, but I do have webinars on it uh, that uh, obviously people can can use to learn more. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing. It's an interesting concept because, you know, when you when you ask that question, a lot of times you expect to hear answers like, OK, well, of course, you know, there's the sunnah, like, you know, the, the sunnah foods, like the dates and the olives and the figs and everything else. Um, but then we you know to, to actually hear that, you know, how we approach eating is much more important than, you know, these specific foods that we need to focus on is a really interesting concept. 
if I were to ask you, what kind of work do you do with your clients when they when when they do want to be part of your program? What is it that you're focusing on? What transformation do they undergo by signing up to your Eat to Worship program? What can they expect? So the Eat to Worship community is meant to be, inshallah, I hope people stay in it long term. But it's meant to be like a long term community that grows together. Okay. Um, so what we do is we have um, a monthly theme. And then we meet every week via a short like Zoom session. Right now it's Zoom. We'll see what happens later. But via a short uh, live session, typically Mondays. Um, and we talk about it. And then we also have like a texting platform that people can connect to if they want to. They don't have to. I didn't want to do like a Facebook group. Um, but that allows people to still kind of stay connected and we reconnect. So, for example, um, and we talk about topics. The topics are basically nutrition is as vast as it gets. Um, and when I'm working with, um, you know, Muslim women, so they're Muslim women, right? And basically you do have to be over 18 to be in the program, but I have, I have girls, I have women as young as, you know, college freshmen and sophomores. And I have women that are much more later in their life that have like grandchildren now. So we are a wide audience. Um, and there, there's a few reasons that I didn't want to narrow that down more. One, this is kind of how it fell into place. Um, but two, you get to really see the benefit of um, that intergenerational reaction interaction, which we don't get to um, experience as much as we'd like anymore. Just one, because of COVID, but two, just because of the um, activities a lot of times we're involved in. And then, um, you know, the experiences that everybody comes with, it, it's all different. And so we so we come together once a week. We we have a live session. We'll have a monthly theme. And so some of the themes that we've done, um, I really like alliteration. It's kind of a little bit um, over the top, but I, I like it. So the, some of the themes that we have done, um, like March was Mindful March. We continued the mindfulness theme into April because we wanted to focus on that for Ramadan. Um, so basically March and April, we, we launched in March. We were preparing for Ramadan. Um, and then in May, it was Mighty May, we, we shifted gears a little bit and we focused on physical activity. Um, in June and July, we talked about the interrelationship. So it was Jolly, uh, Jolly June, no, Joyous June, Jolly July. Um, and we talked about basically the intersection between mental health and spiritual and physical health. Um, and so the idea is that a lot of what we cover is informative. So we're just talking, people are learning. And the more that you learn, the more that you're able to kind of put little pockets away so that with time you're able to in improve on things. But then we also talk about specific actions that we can take. Everybody is coming from a different place. So there is no like everybody has to work on the same thing, but there is that theme. So, for example, um, in May, when we were talking about physical activity, you know, we set simple goals of trying to you know get some physical activity in every week. X amount of times, but we didn't say, okay, everybody has to go to the gym or, okay, everybody has to run or whatever it is. We just left that open because everybody is at a different place and they just, they're just coming, basically they're coming as they are and we're working together. So as a whole, we're uplifting our spiritual and um, physical health. And Alhamdulillah, a lot of times we're able to incorporate more um, spiritual aspects, mm -hmm. just being able, I, I strongly believe in that relationship, obviously, or I wouldn't be here between um, nutrition and spiritual health. Um, and being able to bring out, you know, 
uh, the, the religious guidance in a lot of these topics is also uplifting and it also helps bring people closer to Allah, which at the end of the day, you know, that's all of our goals inshallah ta'ala as Muslims is to grow closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's just kind of one step for us to come there as a community together. Love that. I love that, mashallah. So it sounds like you're, uh, what, the way that you work with your clients is more that like a long-term experience and support system than a specific short-term, here's what you need to eat and do that for six weeks and then uh, yeah. to go. I don't okay. do that anymore. Okay. Um, I don't do that anymore. If someone is only interested in like one point of knowledge, that's where my webinars come in. So right. I have the Eat to Worship community is its own community. And then we have just monthly, typically almost every month we, we come out or I come out with a new webinar that talks about different topics. And this is this varies greatly. So um, for example, last month we had one on carbohydrates. We just kind of broke down everything related to carbs because that's a place of that common question that I get and common question that a lot of people have. This month I'm doing a virtual grocery store tour. So I'm just going to go out and then everybody's watching me and I'm talking about how you can navigate a grocery store so that you are purchasing things better. But also some of them are more um, spiritual in nature, like a mindfulness eater. And then some of them are just like completely like where we're talking about the Prophet and how he ate and drank. So it just kind of depends, you know, these are for people that are um, maybe not as interested in a long-term program, but would like to learn more about a specific topic. Love it, love it, mashallah. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to hear that there is something out there available for the Muslim community because I definitely think we need a little bit more of that right now. And um, I love that you're, you know, pioneering in this space and, and, you know, bringing a solution like this to the people who want a support system that caters not only to what they eat, but also how they can relate that back to Islam and spirituality. Uh, so that's really beautiful to see, mashallah. I want to ask you uh, one more question. And this one is about, you know, for you as an entrepreneur and kind of navigating social media and your business. Uh, and I hope that's okay to ask. But we actually went through the same thing recently where as a business, you know, what we what we spend the majority of our time doing on social media is really sharing valuable content and things to educate our audience about specifically what we do and provide as a solution, which, which is entrepreneurship. And of course, recently, um, well, you know, the, the apartheid that's happening in Palestine has been ramping up and started with Sheikh Jarrah and it's just been getting worse from there. And we decided that we're going to start talking about that. And we released content about that and we released stories. And then it just kept going on and on. We decided, well, okay, how can we make the most impact possible? We know we need to keep nurturing Muslim entrepreneurship. We, need to, we know we need to keep doing what we do because we can't just pause it. We got to keep, you know, uplifting the ummah and doing all everything that we can. I want to ask you for you how you navigated that as well, because now people will go on your Instagram, and I think you mentioned it as well that you're you're focusing on talking about these issues that mean a lot to you and that are important to you because you're Palestinian as well. So how did you navigate that as an entrepreneur who still wants to promote her business, but you care about sharing these causes? You care about that, and a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs listening to this are in the same position as you. So I think it would be really beneficial to talk about. Yeah, so if you look at my social media right now, um, primarily my Instagram, my Twitter, I used to use a little bit more, but now I don't really use as much, but primarily my Instagram and then my Facebook just forward, like my Instagram just forwards to my Facebook. So I'm not necessarily creating new content for Facebook. Um, so initially, um, you know, as I shifted into a Muslim dietitian, Alhamdulillah, I felt very comfortable sharing specific Muslim content. Um, and then when, you know, the recent, um, like you said, the recent escalation is typically like, you know, what we talk about, the recent escalation in, um, in Palestine, in Gaza, um, you know, you, we started sharing a lot of content because we wanted to bring awareness. And so initially the idea was that, okay, I want to bring awareness. And 
you know, if you're following these, this, this, um, if you're following the ongoings closely, you do see that this has made a difference. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Um, so the fact that there are so many more people talking about it has definitely made a difference. And initially, that was it. The, the goal was just to raise awareness. Whatever happens, happens, right? Um, but as the censorship increased, for me, I'll talk about me personally, and then I can share some tips as well for others. But as the censorship increased, I became very uncomfortable using social media um, for personal reasons. Um, and, and person, my business is part of my personal reasons. It's who I am, right? So I, I, I started, I, I didn't know what to do initially. So I was sharing all this Palestinian content. Nothing felt right for me. I am a Palestinian. And so sharing, enough, sharing anything else for the first probably month, month and a half, didn't even feel like it was something I wanted to do. And so I didn't. But as time passes, life does continue. And um, as I was mentioning earlier, I kind of mentioned some of my values. I'm going to go through them now, which helped me answer this question. So my number one tip to entrepreneurs, actually, and this was something that I learned from um, Sadaf. She's at Sadam Sadaf on Instagram. She's a wonderful business coach that focuses on your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your business. I think she only works with women, but um, I did. She did actually a coaching for charity event. Uh, for Palestine. And so I joined that and I learned a ton from that. But the, the one thing that I learned that I found that has had the most profound effect on me was being able to lay out my values. And when you're able to lay out your, and what, what is a value, right? A value is kind of like this overarching concept that drives your life. And as Muslims, a lot of times we're like, okay, we want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? That's our value. That's our life. But that's not practical enough. Um, and so we spent, you know, an hour kind of narrowing down our values. Yeah. And for me, I was able to bring that out to three values that I was alhamdulillah able to feel because my brand is who I am. This is how I want my business. Not everybody wants their business to be a representation of them. But for me, my business is a representation of me. And so as, um, you know, as I dived into what was important, I realized that I had three values. Number one is authenticity, which I believe I mentioned earlier. Basically, to be able to be authentically, authentically, authentically myself um, is very, very important. And so with the censorship as a Palestinian, if I want to be openly Palestinian, I am being censored. So this was very personal in the sense of like, why would I use a platform to do that? Um, and then... My second value is self-preservation, which is why my business, you know, self-preservation in terms of, of prioritizing the things that are important. So self-care is an aspect of that, but that's not the biggest aspect. It's more of like recognizing my boundaries. Yeah. Um, and so, for example, in my business, how that shows up is that um, I, 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 I cap my business work at 12 to 15 hours a week. That's it. If, if I need more time, then whatever it is gets pushed away. Not because my business is not important, but because there are as important other things in my life as well. Um, particularly a two-year-old that uh, requires a lot of attention. Um, but then the third one, which is the one that really helped me make the decision that I made, which my decision was, and you know, I pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes this easy for me to continue, was I am not going to depend on social media anymore until we have a platform that is Muslim appropriate, you know, or it doesn't have to be Muslim owned, but that is appropriate for Muslim values. Um, and so that means I'm not providing free content on my Instagram anymore. 
that beneficial content that I was providing before. So if you go through my Instagram, you'll see the last maybe 30, 40 posts are all Philistine. Mm -hmm. Post all before that was informational content. The goal was to get information out to people, to grow my platform so that I reached more people, so that I made more sales. Um, and so I'm not doing that anymore. So I have shifted to a um, providing my content strictly, my free content is strictly for my mailing list. So if you want to learn from me, you have to be on my mailing list. Um, I still use social media to promote Palestine things because I think we need that at this point. And it does make a difference. Um, even in small things, I don't know, you know, if, if people are following, but for example, the whole Ben and Jerry's thing with the ice cream thing, yeah. that started on social media. And I have, and I'm 100% certain that that started with, if anybody's following Palestinian people on social media, you're following Subhi Taha. That, yeah. I mean, you know, may Allah reward him. That was his efforts through social media distribution that made them do what they did. It's not 100% good. We can talk about the details of that, but still, it's a shift, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, other things like, you know, like uh, yesterday was the, there was a, um, a court uh, in the Israeli courts on um, whether or not the Sheikh Jarrah, what was going to happen in Sheikh Jarrah. And mm -hmm. so, you know, Muhammad Al-Kurd mentions that they didn't make the decision they would have made if this was just a year ago because of international coverage and, and, um, and pressure. So there is definitely a difference that is happening. So for me, I have made that decision. And the reason that I am comfortable making that decision and it works for me is because my third uh, value is whoever is God conscious, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him a way out. And I share this not because like I'm amazing because I have this value, but alhamdulillah, this is how I make my decisions. Everybody, I encourage everybody that's trying to navigate something that's hard, whether it's this or something else, to sit down with yourself and find your values. And when you find your values, you are able to answer all of these questions with so much more ease. There were so many opportunities that came up since then that I was you know, wondering if I should do them or not. If I didn't have my values laid out, it would have been a difficult decision. Like one of them, for example, somebody wrote like, um, you know what ghostwriters are? Like they'll write, um, they'll write a blog post for you and you get to post it in your name. And so somebody wrote one for me. I'm like, oh, that would make life so much easier. I wouldn't have to write my own blogs. I could have a new blog post every week. But I was like, no, my first value is authenticity. If it's not me, I can't put my name on it. And I'm only giving you these examples because just to show you the value of having your values laid out. So for me, I have completely decided I can't depend on social media because if I want to be authentic, that means I'm Palestinian. That means they are censoring who I am as an individual. And I just can't have that. But, you know, for others, your values are going to be different. And I'm not superior for the values that I have. I'm not saying that you need to be like me or I'm so amazing for doing this. This is just what felt comfortable for me. To, but if you have, you know, other values, then that's how you navigate this. So, for example, and Salam, and Salam Sadaf, her name is Sadaf, but her Instagram, she actually shared quite a few posts for individuals wanting to navigate through. How do I still share about Palestine and work on my business? And so... And she basically has all the options out there. You focus just on Palestine. If that's for you, that's for you. You go half half. If that's for you, that's for you. You you incorporate it into who you are. You know, if that's for you, that's for you. And if you're in a position where you can't afford to do that, then you do the other aspects, which is you know, in your private sessions, in your um, in your dua, you support the people of Palestine. So there's a lot of places where people can end up, and it is definitely difficult to navigate. And if somebody wants to talk about this, you know, more one on one, I'm more than happy to kind of talk about it. But that would be my advice. If you are able to identify your values, you are able to make these decisions with ease, inshallah. Mm -hmm. Inshallah, definitely. I want to ask you, how did you, uh, how, 
how did you adapt to this change of, of not using social media to promote your business, right? A lot of entrepreneurs may ask that, what are you, what are you doing instead? So, um, I'm still work figuring that out. I'm not going to lie. I'm still figuring that I'm making that Allah makes it easy. Um, so I don't know if anybody's familiar with Chai Talk Pro. Um, basically, it's a group of Muslim women that hold like a um, a monthly live event with other entrepreneurs. So they're, they're supporting entrepreneurs. So they did something called Chai Tank, which is like Shark Tank. And um, Alhamdulillah, uh, a Muslim dietitian made it to the finalists. They still haven't announced their finals. But um, I made it there and we had our, our meetings two weeks ago. So I had already decided that I'm not doing social media. And it was in like a couple of the judges were business coaches and they're looking at me like, what are you doing? You know, like I am, you know, destroying my business basically. Um, and, and I get that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like, especially over the past two to five years, the role of social media for entrepreneurs has grown ex exponentially, right? Everybody's trying to do the newest trend, trying to get more show, more more views, trying to get more um, more people. But um, I, I I can't say I know exactly what's going to happen. Um, I'm focusing a lot on my website, which you know obviously is um, also a place where there is some censorship, right? Because Google decides who gets to be where, right? Um, so, so nothing is truly yours, which is something that I'm trying to learn to navigate, um, besides potentially your mailing list, we can say maybe that's, you know, that's yours as an entrepreneur. Um, but I am reaching out old school. I'm going way old school because now I'm not wasting, not wasting time. I'm not spending time creating content for social media. So I'm going old school. I'm texting people. I'm sending out, like I have a WhatsApp broadcast list. Um, you know, I have a, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, through my Qadam connections, I have a lot of individuals that are members of other communities. And so, you know, I think a lot of times we are a little shy to promote ourselves. And I certainly was at the beginning, but I'm at a place right now where I'm very comfortable saying, Hey, I have this flyer. Can you print it off and put a, put it up in your masjid? Mm -hmm. So I am going old school. I can't tell you it's working yet, <laughs> um, but I'm making da'a. And, and, and again, I know I'm in a place right now where I, I really don't know if this is going to work or not. Um, and I just pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy and allows it to work. Uh, I'm also very privileged in the sense that my business is very important, but I do not necessarily need to rely on it financially. So I can, you know, I can be the guinea pig for everybody um, and experiment a little bit and get back to you in terms of how this is working or not working well yeah. one thing one thing that i do actually uh like about that is that uh, to be honest it's uh a lot of people ignore because there's such a big focus on social media a lot of people ignore the um uh how do you say the, the traditional methods of marketing right which are the in-person methods the flyers the reaching out the texting and you know a lot of people i think there shouldn't be for someone listening to this who's like which side do I go? Personally, for me, my opinion is I don't think there's an end all be all. I think both are great avenues. If you want to focus on one, go for it. But really, yeah. the ultimate uh, goal would be for a business to try to leverage all manners of marketing, right? Not just put all your focus on social media, but do the organic stuff too and go in person and go and meet people and build those connections. And I think that's really great. Um, so there's, I mean, inshallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase you in success and better yeah. kind of in your business, you know? And I think you're doing this for a good cost. So, 
you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows all things and knows what's in your heart and knows your intentions. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you the success you're looking for. Um, we're, we're coming up here on a few audience questions that I'd love to share with you, inshallah, before we wrap up. Um, definitely many that came in and lots of beautiful comments of support uh, and people enjoying this podcast. And one that I'm going to highlight here is uh, an interesting question here. Do you specifically use Tibbun uh, Nabawi, which is the uh, the prophetic medicine, uh, mm -hmm. as references or mostly for clinical um, like diets? As in, like, do you use it for reference or do you build diets around that? So um, I am a registered dietitian, but I do not counsel individuals. Okay. Um, and so I am not telling people specifically, you know, you have diabetes, you need to do this, this, and this. I'm speaking okay. more in generalities. Okay. Um, so I am able to incorporate aspects of the faith and aspects of um, nutrition education. Tibbun Nabawi specifically as a science, prophetic medicine as a science, I am not well versed enough in it yet. I say yet because I'm actually very interested in um, learning more. But it has been a little bit harder to uh, find the best resources um, in that respect. And it's a very interesting conversation as to um, the validity of it and how it's viewed historically, even amongst Muslim scholars, where some say, you know, prophetic medicine is divine, but others say prophetic medicine was actually more related to the medicine available at the time of the Prophet. So there's two aspects to it. Um, I, I think I personally lean a little bit towards a lot of it being more divine, but I'm not well versed enough to be able to say, okay, do this or do that. I do have in my bookshelf here, I have Tubunabawi, you know, the the, the Tubunabawi book, which um, I kind of learned might not be the best source to start. Uh, so I am looking for resources. Um, there is a course in the UK, uh, but it's like a, a, a like a, a two-year certification, the Benevoli course. That sounds really, really cool, but I have not had the opportunity to kind of um, do it yet because you actually have to go and spend like two weeks in the UK at the end of it and with a two-year-old. I don't know how that works. Yeah, uh, it is something that I'm very interested in. It's something that comes up a little bit, certain places here and there, but I'm not well-versed in it enough yet, um, but inshallah, yeah. soon. Inshallah, definitely. And we got uh, one more as well. And I'd love to ask, we actually have lots of questions uh, that came in, but we'll only have time for one more. Um, so guys, we'll try to get to them maybe after the podcast, inshallah. Um, but one of them is, what should I be looking at on the nutrition facts label? I found that question interesting. What are the things that we should be looking out for? I think that is an excellent question. Um, <laughs> so uh, I say that for two reasons. One, um, because it is an excellent question. Two, because that is something that I will actually be covering in my webinar on okay. So next week on Tuesday, I have a live grocery store tour, uh, a lot, I'm sorry, virtual grocery store tour. And so I will be walking people through how to read that nutrition label and how and how to use it. But um, it's hard to say, you know, for everybody, everybody's going to look at different things. But some things that are really, really helpful now is the nutrition label was updated and include includes something called added sugars. Added sugars basically means so you have carbohydrates, which is a kind which is the overarching name of sugars, basically. Then you have um, you have fiber and you have added sugars and added sugars basically are sugars are simple sugars that are added into the food. So, um, for example, if you go to the grocery store and you look at plain yogurt versus uh, vanilla yogurt, plain yogurt will not have any added sugar, although it will have sugar in it. So sugar is naturally occurring in a lot of foods. We don't worry about that. Added sugars is where we kind of want to focus. And so what you see, uh, you know, the current recommendation is that less than 10% of your calories should come from added sugar. And a lot of us don't realize how much of it actually comes from added sugar. Um, added sugar is not inherently bad. I don't believe in the morality of food. 
food is not good, not bad. I don't believe in the morality of food, but too much added sugar is where we start to tip the scale because we're not getting enough of the other things. Um, and so that, if you know, if you want to ask me like, what's one thing I should look at, I would highly recommend checking in with the added sugar. And then when you're making a decision, comparing different foods and seeing, okay, well, um, you know, what kind of foods can I eat where I'm able to, to get um, more bang for my buck in terms of nutrition. So it's more nutrient dense and less of those um, calories that don't provide us with nutrients. And when I say nutrients, we're talking about those micronutrients, your vitamins and your minerals. So um, if there's one thing, that would be it. But if you want to learn more, I definitely encourage you to check out this upcoming webinar. I've actually, um, I don't know if it's okay for me to share this much, but I've actually decreased the price of it for whoever is watching me live. I'll keep it lower. Um, typically I sell it for 24 an individual. It's 17 now, so it's about a 30% discount. So if anybody's interested in that, go ahead. Um, I'll give you the link uh, in a second. Go ahead and sign up. I'll keep it that way for just like a couple hours for whoever um, is attending. Awesome. So yeah, where can people go? And I mean, you've, you've shared with us so many beneficial information, so many, so many golden nuggets, mashallah, throughout this podcast. Uh, where should people go to support you and sign up to your webinar to learn more about your work? What's the best place to go? Yeah, so my website, so subhanAllah, this is really interesting. If this was two, three, no, probably four or five months ago, I would say without a doubt, my Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. But not doing that anymore. We're sending people to my website. So even if you don't care, guys, go visit it just to kind of drive out that traffic. Um, <laughs> but it's amuslimdietitian.com. Super easy. Okay. amuslimdietitian.com. Um, there's tabs on top. If you scroll through the front, you'll see also where everything is. But there's a tab that says new webinars or it says webinars. Hit that and that's where you see all of my webinars. Um, you can sign up for past webinars, you'll just get the recording or new webinars that are coming up. So I will have um, in August, there is um, August 10th, which is um, next Tuesday. I do my webinars Tuesday evenings. Um, uh, so typically once a month, August 10th, we will have um, the virtual grocery store tour. And then the month after that, inshallah ta'ala, I will be bringing back uh, like a a fan favorite. It's not that big a deal, but something that people typically attend and enjoy, which is prophetic food and eating. And we just talk about how the Prophet ate, how he sat, how he, you know, utensils he used or didn't use. Did he sit on a table? Did he not? And then just some of his favorite foods, um, which is always just a, a time that typically it's just it's just nice. You, you're just kind of coming and you're learning about the Prophet ﷺ. You, you, you know, you maybe pick up a new food that you're like, oh, the Prophet liked. I'm going to enjoy it, too. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where it is. And we talked about the Eat to Worship membership a lot, too, that you can find um, under the resources tab. And um, typically membership is open only um, between the 20th and the 25th of the month because I want people to join at the very beginning of the month. But if anybody is interested and doesn't want to wait, please reach out. You said there were a lot of questions. Are they on the Facebook or the- They're gonna be in the Facebook group, yeah. So maybe we'll send you a link after you can take a look at those and, yeah, and ask the ones that uh, we didn't get to, inshallah. That'd be yeah, absolutely, awesome. be happy to do that, yeah. All right, beautiful. So we'll make that happen. And uh, again, just Jazakallah Khair for joining us on this podcast. It was an absolute pleasure. We really appreciate having you. Wa'iyakum. It's very happy to be here. Jazakallah Khair. Wa'iyakum. All right, guys. So thank you so much for watching and, you know, joining us on this podcast. And if you're watching live, stay tuned because in about, you know, three to five minutes, we're going to go live again. But this time for day two of our current challenge, where we're helping you launch your own profitable halal online business. And if you're listening to this and um, you haven't joined the challenge, you can learn about it on our Instagram or uh, join our Facebook group.
facebook.com slash groups slash Immerpreneur. And you can learn about the challenge and sign up and join us, inshallah. Or if you'd like to just skip straight and book a call with us so you can learn more about our services, that's Immerpreneur.com slash call. And we'll speak to you to understand what your goals are in business and how we can help you, inshallah. Until then, we'll see you next episode. Take care, guys. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.